Amen. He has washed it white as snow. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So I told you last week that we were going to be in the genealogy for two weeks, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to, because I love you and because I don't want to rush through this, we're going to break this morning's sermon into two pieces, and so we're going to actually be in it three weeks, okay? So Matthew chapter 1, be patient with me as I read a lot of names right here, Um, but remember they're significant, through verse 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abihah, and Abihah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, and Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Methan. And Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, You are not just good today. You have been good through the generations. One generation comes and another generation goes. And to all of them, you have proven yourself faithful and true. To all of them, you have given gifts of grace that they did not deserve. To all of them, they have known that your mercies are new every morning. And to many of them, they have realized that your holiness and justice are potent. And Father, I pray that just as the past generations have experienced your goodness, as we reflect on your goodness this morning, that you would allow us as your children to walk in your goodness all the days of our lives. And I pray, Father, that during this Advent season, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus and we anticipate the return of Jesus, that, God, we would rest our hope on your faithfulness through all generations, to all peoples, to bring the Christ that we might be saved. So, Father, my prayer this morning is that your word would come alive. That your word would be alive. That we would see in these names the significance and the reason why we can have peace today. These names for yesterday represent peace today. 
And so, Lord, we offer ourselves up to you as both preacher and hearers. And we ask that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I don't know about y'all, but fall is pretty much my favorite season. I love the fall. And my favorite thing to do during the fall is to like just get out in the woods. The woods have a different smell, don't they, in the fall. Like you, the leaves are coming down and it's kind of all the leaves are laying on the ground. And you can just, as you walk through them and tromp through them, there's just this, this little nip in the air, that, that fresh smell that you get. And to see like a road in the woods in the fall with all the colors around and the leaves on the it's, there's just nothing like it. It's just magical, right? And so a few weeks ago, while we were kind of at peak color here locally, Josiah and I took a Friday, and Fridays are, are mine and Josiah's days together, and we decided we were going to go out to Pine Glen. And Pine Glen is probably my favorite place in the world, maybe anyway, but the fall, it just is a magical place. It's these old winding roads that kind of go through this worn down campground, and you just see, like, it's like what you would see in a, uh, a Thomas Kincaid painting or, or something like that, except you're seeing it there in real life. And so we're there, and it's got that nip in the air, and the smell is just right, and the road is magical, and the leaves are, are popping, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the forest floor is covered in a, in a coat of leaves. And, and I'm sitting there, and Josiah, I'm just, there's nobody else around, and so I can just kind of let him roam and rumble and bumble and stumble and crash and, and just do Josiah stuff, right? And I'm sitting there, and Josiah is there, and he's just playing in the leaves, He's picking up the leaves, and he's throwing them, and he's picking up sticks, and he's banging it on the leaves. And, and I sat there, and I'm telling you, that brought peace to my spirit. There's something peaceful about watching a child play, isn't there? When you sit there, and, and they're totally undisturbed by anything. They're not worried about the deadlines at work. They're not concerned that the field lines are clogged. They're not worried about the transmission slipping or the motor knocking. They're not worried about... Uh, what, whether or not the, the budget's going to balance or how we're going to pay for groceries with all of the inflation. They're not worried about rising gas prices or the meanness on Facebook or the craziness on the news. They're just playing in the leaves. They're just playing in the leaves. And you sit there, and when you watch a child play like that, you become almost envious of them, don't you? You become envious of them, and you wish, what would it be like to be that unconcerned? Because you know what happens in the life of that child? Do you know why they're able to play in the leaves? They understand their place in the world. They understand their place in the world. Mom and dad, they handle all that. Food, always taken care of. Mom and dad handle it. Bills, what is a bill? Like mom and dad on it. Work, mom and dad on it. Mom and dad have that. So mom and dad's place is to bear the responsibility of the family. My place, play in the leaves. Ball out in the leaves. And because they understand their place in the world, they're able to be at peace, aren't they? They're able to rest. They're able to just carefree without any worry in the world. Go and throw leaves up in the air and bang sticks on the ground until they break. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' disciples, they come to him and they say, Jesus, would you make us the greatest in your kingdom? Who among us is going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to sit at your le left hand? And do you remember what Jesus does? Jesus calls to himself a child. And he brings a child and he says, whoever comes to me 
with the faith of a child belongs the kingdom of heaven. That is, that if you seek to build up your uh, your name by your means, by your strength, by your ingenuity, your way, so that you can have greatness in the world, so that you can attain all that this world has to offer, oh, you're going you're gonna to know anxiety, you're going to know worry, you're going to know failure, you're going to know what it means to feel as though you can never measure up because you're always trying to get everything your way and it's out of order. But if you'll come to me, knowing who you are, Knowing where your significance comes from, knowing where your, your provision is promised, if you'll come to me, in other words, knowing your place, well then, then the kingdom is yours. The kingdom belongs to you. In other words, if we'll trust in Christ's provision, if we'll trust in Christ's sovereignty, if we'll trust in what Christ has assured his children that even the birds of the air have plenty to eat and you are of more value than they. If we will place our hope in that reality, then what we get to do is play in the leaves. We get to play in the leaves. When cancer comes, when the bills don't add up, when our job goes away, when our kids uh, are diagnosed with, with difficult diagnoses, We can play in the leaves because we understand that's not our weight to bear. Christ is bearing the weight. That is the point of the genealogy. The genealogy is written to a time in Israel in which tumult and unrest has reached critical mass. They are occupied by Rome. They are oppressed. They are being taxed beyond what they are able to pay. They are, they are being threatened against their lives if they will not bow down to the pagan statues of the Roman pantheon. And they're all throwing their arms up in the air and they're wondering, like, like is my retirement really gone? Is, or what, what kind of world am I leaving to my kids? How is all of this going to work out? They have all of these questions that are, are bearing in mind that is costing them all of their peace. And how does Matthew answer it? He opens up with a list of names. He opens up with a list of names. But the reason is, is he wants you and I, he wanted them, he wants us today to be able to see that all of this did not just happen, that God has been a work across the generations, and that Christ did not just poof onto the scene, rather Christ was placed within a setting, and so that we can see where Christ is and how we are in him, where he fits and where we fit in him. And when we realize where, how Christ fits into the story of what God is doing and how we fit in Christ then, then we can play in the leaves. Then we can rest. In other words, then we can have peace. I wonder how, what many of you would give this morning for peace. I wonder if there are some of you, if I came to you, you'd tell me you'd empty out your whole 401k if you could just have some peace. That's what Christ offers, brothers and sisters. That's what Christ offers to us. And so what we are supposed to see is there are three names that this genealogy is meant to highlight, that's meant to bring to the forefront, the name of Abraham, the name of David, and the name of Jesus. And the names of Abraham and David, they represent the two of the most significant covenants that we find in all of the Old Testament. And so it's supposed to trigger the thought of those covenants in our minds, and that we're supposed to see how those covenants are ultimately fulfilled in that 
third name, the name of Jesus, and how that is meant in the midst of dismay, in the midst of unrest, in the midst of tumult, in the midst of uncertainty, bring us rest and peace and confidence. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the first of those names, how it's fulfilled in Christ, and then we're going to look secondly, uh, look at the second name next week and how it's fulfilled at Christ. And so what we see see uh, Matthew do is he starts where Israel starts. He starts with Abraham. He starts with the family that this is the son of Abraham, that Jesus is the son of Abraham. And the very first name he gives is Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. And so he's showing us how all of this story began from the beginning. Now, what's interesting is when you are reading the story of of Israel, you're reading the Bible in Genesis. When you come to Genesis chapter 11, do you know what you have in Genesis chapter 11? You have a genealogy. The Jews, big on genealogies. They really like nailing down these names and kind of fleshing that out. And so you're reading this name, and one of the names among many is the name Abram. Okay? And when you're reading Genesis chapter 11, there's nothing that stands out to you about Abram. There's nothing that looks special about Abram. Abram is just a dude. He's a, he's a name on a list of names. Nothing that would, that would cause you to stop. And then you get to chapter 12, and it's jarring. It's meant to be jarring what happens. You have this guy in chapter 11 who's just a name among many. He is one among a multitude. He is, he is just a face in the crowd, except when you get to chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And do you know what explanation the Bible gives for that? None. None. It doesn't say that Abram is selected because he has a nice haircut. It doesn't say that Abram is selected because he has bulging biceps or he's young and virile. It doesn't say that he's a charismatic leader. It doesn't say that he's going to be a great politician. It doesn't say that he's particularly impressive on the outside or or impressive with intellect. It doesn't say that he is a moral man. It doesn't say that he's a man of great character or great integrity. It has Abraham, a man who has been worshiping pagans in the land of Ur with his father, and all of a sudden, poof, onto the screen, it says, God says, I choose you. I choose you. Not because you're good. Not because you're impressive. Not because you're charismatic. Not because you're going to be a great leader of a whole bunch of people. Not because you're wealthy. Not because you're willing to do without. Not because you're this or because you're that. I choose you because I choose you. I choose you because it's my sovereign grace bestowed upon you to come to you and to allow you to be blessed in my name. And it's startling. It's startling. That is not what you expect that list of names in Genesis 11 to lead to in Genesis chapter 12. But what we see from the outset of Israel is that what Israel is going to be is not going to depend upon who Israel is in and of themselves. Who Israel is going to be and what Israel is going to accomplish. And and the goodness of God that rests upon Israel is not inherent and intrinsic to Israel. It is given to them unconditionally by the choice of God. Because God is good, not because they are. Not because they are. And so he comes and he makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And by making you a great nation through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he makes this covenant, and he doesn't give any stipulations. He doesn't give any conditions. He just comes and says, I'm making this promise to you for apparently no good reason 
just so that my name can be known. Now, it's important to, that you realize that there are two different types of covenants. I think this is a helpful way for us to read and to study the Bible. That one of the themes that kind of anchors the whole Bible together is there's a series of covenants across the Bible that allow us to see how all of this thing is progressing. And we're going to see that a little bit clearer next week. But how all of this, the storyline of how God is saving the world and how God is, is making the world new again is progressing over the course of the generations. And it's kind of moving from covenant to covenant. And there are really two different types of covenants that we find in the scripture. The first covenant that we see is called a covenant of works. A covenant of works. And so a covenant of works is when you have a king and then there's a lesser king or a lesser governor. And the two come into an agreement with one another. And the great king says, so long as you meet all of the conditions, so long as you meet all of my stipulations and you, you honor the rules that I have or you pay the taxes that I require, so long as you do that, I will promise you protection. I will promise you provision. I will promise you that I will do everything in my power to make sure that you are blessed. And so we see a covenant of works very often, uh, like, like think about in the Garden of Eden, right? God goes and he makes a covenant with Adam that you can have anything in all of the garden and you're going to live in relationship with me and I'm going to bless you and you're going to be fruitful and multiply so long as, here's the stipulation, you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's a stipulation to the covenant that is made with Adam from the outside. It's not unconditional, right? There's conditions that are made. As long as Adam upholds it, he and all that will follow after him and they uphold it, they're going to enjoy the blessing of God. They're going to enjoy that relationship with God. You can also think about the covenant that God makes with Israel, right? They go up on Mount Sinai and God says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. But then there are stipulations, the Ten Commandments, right? You uphold these, I'm going to bless you. You break these, I'm going to curse you. And you have this long list of blessings and curses. That's a covenant of works. There's responsibility in that in that covenant for Israel to be able to uphold their end. And as long as they uphold their end, then God is going to bless them. They're going to be exist in this covenant together from generation to generation as long as it's being, as the stipulations are being upheld. And the way that they would, they would sign off on these covenants is they would slaughter an animal and they would take the pieces of an animal and they would form two lines, right? And then the two the two co-signers of the covenant would walk through those animal pieces, which is kind of a gruesome, uh, they, they were a lot more comfortable with death and blood back in the Old Testament than we are today, right? They don't have the modern sensibilities that we have today. And they would walk through these pieces, and what they were saying is, is if I break the covenant, let happen to me what happened to this animal. May, may what happened to this animal happen to me that I am, I am signing this covenant with my own life. I'm signing this covenant with my own blood that I will uphold my end of the deal. But then there's a second type of covenant. There's a covenant of grace. A covenant of grace is completely different from a covenant of works. A covenant of grace is given by the great king to the lesser nation, to the lesser king, to the lesser ruler. And it's him coming and saying, there are no stipulations. I want the world to know how able I am to protect. I want the world to know how able I am to provide. I want the world to know how good I am in my character and in my nature. And so to prove and to make my name as the great king even greater among all of the other nations, I endeavor to bless you and to protect you, to provide for you an alliance 
science that will enable you to be able to sustain from one generation to the next. There are no conditions. There are no stipulations. For as long as that king and any of the other ancestors that come up come after him sit upon his throne, that covenant is bearing upon the king. And that's the significance of what it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. In Genesis chapter 15, what you have, Genesis chapter 12, the covenant with Abraham is introduced. Genesis chapter 15, the covenant with Abraham is clarified and solidified. And listen to what it says in verse 17 of chapter 15. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch did what? Passed between these pieces. That they slaughtered the animal. They had the pieces of the animal and it was placed in two. But Abraham did not walk through the pieces. Abraham did not have to sign his name to the covenant. God signed his own name to the covenant. God obligated and obliged himself to Abraham by his grace unconditionally that this was as long as God sits on the throne of heaven, as long as God reigns over all the earth, he has committed himself to bless Abraham and to bless all that would come after Abraham. It was an irrevocable promise as certain and sure as God himself is. And so what we see is God is entering in by his choice, by his goodness, by his nature, for the fame of his great name, into an unconditional covenant of grace with Abraham. Now, what you have to understand about covenants is that covenants weren't just made between a man and another man for the time of their lives. That, that's why we really probably shouldn't call a covenant a promise, or we probably shouldn't call a covenant a, a, a contract. It's more than that. A, a promise or a contract is between Mark and I. And when Mark and I go on, the, the promise, the contract is over. The, the debt is over. None of it is relevant anymore. But a covenant is different from that. A covenant was intended to be passed down from one generation to the next generation. In other words, a covenant was an agreement between two people for how their families were going to treat one another. For how their ancestors were going to relate to one another. It was, it was a responsibility that they were not just placing upon their own shoulders, but a responsibility that they were placing upon all the shoulders that would come after them. And so here is God looking to Abraham and he is saying, I don't just take responsibility for you. I take responsibility for your family. For your son and your son's son and your son that comes after. I, I take responsibility, in other words, for your entire genealogy, for the whole family tree that is to come. I'm going to take you and I'm going to take responsibility by my grace, for my fame, by my good hand. I am going to bless you and all the people that come after you in your family. So this is a responsibility. This is a covenant, not just between Abraham and God, but between the family of Abraham. And God. That God wasn't just choosing Abraham, he was choosing Abraham's family. The covenant, after all, was I'm going to make you into a nation. And how does he start to make him into a nation? First, he makes him into a family. He takes this barren woman and this, this decrepit old man and he takes them and he brings them and miraculously they become a family. And God says, I am committed to your family. And the covenant is not just that he's going to bless every nation. Look, look at it even more specifically in chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in Abraham, I will bless all the families of the earth. Right? 
It's, it's so, so God is going to take Abraham, a decrepit old man, married to a barren woman, and he is going to so bless him. He is going to so, he's going to so work through him that he's going to turn him into a family. And through that family is going to multiply. And through that multiplying family, now all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, we've said that a lot in here as we've went through the big story. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? I find that there is a lot of a lot of misunderstanding on the idea of bless. If you get on Facebook and you see somebody go hashtag bless, they're always, always talking about something financial, aren't they? Yeah, you know, brand new forerunner, hashtag blessed, right? Like new house, hashtag blessed. I'm living the high life, hashtag blessed, living my best life, hashtag blessed, right? Like you go, got a braise, hashtag blessed, Christmas bonus, hashtag blessed. In the Bible, that's foreign. It's foreign. Like, that's nothing to do with it at all. That is not what it means. What does it mean in the Bible when he makes this promise to bless Abraham and through Abraham to bless all nations? What in the world is God talking about? Like, if that's a promise that I think I'm going to prove later on applies to us and we want it to, like, it ought to be so that we know what the heck it means, right? Like, that would be a nice thing for us to understand. So what does it mean? I would say that I believe that the word, that the biblical concept of being blessed means to live in such a relationship with the presence of God that you have nothing left to fear. That's what it means to be blessed. To live in, in, the, in a relationship with the presence of God in such a way, with such intimacy, that you have nothing left to fear. Think about where the word blessed originates. The first time we see it in the Bible is where? Genesis chapter 1. From the beginning, God is intended, intent on blessing what he has made. He gets to the fifth and sixth grade and he makes all the things that, that fly and creep and crawl, all the things that live on earth. And it says that he blessed them, that he made them so that they could be fruitful and multiply, that he was going to create all of the conditions so that the earth was able to reproduce itself. And this is climaxed in his image bearers, in mankind, because we were that which was to be blessed, to multiply and spread over the face of the earth and by us as his image bearers spreading over the face of the earth we were at one in the same time spreading the face and the name and the fame and the greatness and the glory of God himself and so you see originally you have Adam and Eve and they're living in a blessed creation as part of the blessed creation and how do they live unafraid unhindered unashamed they are naked and they are not worried. They are fed and there is no danger of them not being fed. There is no threat. There is no concern. Why? Because the presence of God is there. The presence of God dwells within his creation. The creation is living in relationship with its God. And God is there providing and protecting and blessing all, of it, all that he has made so that it all works the way he designed it to work. Ultimately so that all creation enjoys its relationship with God and has no concern whatsoever. And what's the first time there's concern? The first time there's anxiety? The first time there's depression? The first time there's unrest? Man sins. Man sins. 
He breaks the relationship with God and believes that he has another way. And where there was blessing, now there is curse. And what does he say? The curse, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be exhausted. This is not going to be a joyful experience. There was work before, but the work wasn't overbearing. The work, wasn't, the work didn't wear you down. The work was, was fulfilling and satisfying. But now, now it's going to exhaust you. Now it's going to complicate your life. Your relationships with one another are not going to be good. You're going to have tension between each other and conflict in your marriage. And, and all of this hardship, childbirth, which was an ultimate blessing from the Lord to spread his glory, is going to be complicated and painful and difficult. And so you come, and the next time that you see blessed, Genesis chapter 12. And so what is God doing? What, what's the storyline of the Bible when we come to Abraham? God is showing that he is intent on living in the relationship with his creation that he intended from the beginning. That he is intent on blessing his people. He is intent on blessing what he has made. He is intent on relating to those that are image bearers made in his image to enjoy. But not all of the world is going to know this. It's going to be known by the chosen family, by the family that he has set his glory upon. That he has set his kindness upon. He's coming to Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham, I'm going to give you my presence in a way that nobody else has. You're not going to have to worry about anything. I'm going to provide for you, Abraham. I'm going to give you this promised land. And he takes Abraham and he walks and he, and he walks the full breadth of the land of Canaan. And he shows, he says, all of this is going to be yours. I am going to deliver you and protect all of your offspring. This is where they're going to dwell for generations to come. And I, I, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you. No one will be able to come and stand against you because if they stand against you, my presence resides with you. And with my presence resides with you, nothing can stand in my face and survive for even an instant. How does that relationship happen? Because his faith is credited to him as righteousness. You see the, do you see the paradigm of salvation here? That Abraham is able to be to walk in the blessed relationship with God because God forgives him, declares him righteous when he is not righteous. The only reason he has to be declared righteous is because he's not righteous. You understand that? The only reason he has to be said that he's good is because he's not naturally good. But he declares him righteous. He says, because I declare you righteous, my presence will be able to hear, be here, and you will not know my presence as being fearsome and awful. You will know my presence as being life-giving and hope-giving. In other words, in other words, the people of God, starting with Abraham, to be blessed means to be able to live in peace. And it's to live in peace because you have certainty by the grace of God, his presence, his provision, his defense in your life. That if God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is for us, who can stand against us? That if God is with me, then when my transmission breaks and, and, and my, my septic tank goes defunct and my kids rebel and my marriage gets rough and work comes apart, then what I can do? I can play in the leaves, man. I can play in the leaves. Because God is with me. And if God is with me and God's promises are sure to me, if I understand my place in this relationship and my place in this world, I can rest. I'm at peace. Now the question comes, how in the world 
can I believe this applies to me? This came to Abraham. Not only did it come to Abraham, it came to, we even said it comes to Abraham and Abraham's family, but I'm not in Abraham's family. I am a little redneck boy born in Rabbit Town. So how in the world do I find solace and glory and goodness and joy in this piece, in, in, in what he has promised to Abraham? And how do you? Because many of you, you have the same story I have. How does he tell Abraham that he's going to bring this promise to be? How does he tell Abraham that he's going to bring this promise to bear? Look at verse 4 of chapter 15. And by the way, to, to, to highlight my definition there, look at what the first thing he says when he's clarifying the covenant. He says, fear not. Why? He's got the promise. He's got the promise. But look at verse 4, chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Bring on Matthew chapter 1, man. Bring on that long, boring list of names, the genealogy of Jesus, who they call the Christ, and let's see why in the world this matters. Who was the son of Abraham? Who was the son that he passed on the promise to? It was Isaac, right? It was Isaac. Isaac, the one that he goes up on the mountaintop and he's going to offer him as a sacrifice demanded by the Lord. And then there's the ram that's caught in the thorns. And he goes and he offers up the sacrifice of the ram and, and through Isaac goes to Jacob, and you have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these, these sons of the promise, then it spreads to the tribes of Israel. So it is Isaac. Certainly it is Isaac that fulfills the promise. Oh, and it is. It is. Except this is one of those instances in which the wonderful, life-giving, joyful, awesome, awe-inspiring, worship-provoking, telescoping promises of God, where we see it fulfilled in part, and we think the story is about told, and we realize when we get to Matthew chapter 1, the story is just starting. Who is the son of Abraham? It is Isaac. But who is the son of Abraham? Who is the greater son of Abraham? The seed through whom all the nations will be born. Look at what Matthew said, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. This promise was always going to be perpetuated and spread through a son. And we may have thought it was Isaac. Oh, and God worked through Isaac and God spread his promise through Isaac. But the promise as it spread still needed to be fulfilled. And in was fulfilled in the son of Abraham, Jesus, who they call the Christ, the Messiah, who was to come. See, I read the Old Testament. I used to read the Old Testament. And I would think, how awesome would it be to be Israel? You ever read the Old Testament like that? Like you read it and you're thinking, man, would it not be awesome Like if I was Israel and I saw the plagues come and I saw the, sp the sea spread and I ate bread that fell out of the sky and, and, and I watched the walls of Jericho fall down and I, I was able to go through the fiery furnace and the flames not be even, even able to, to, to char my body. Or I was able to be there in the den of lions and the mouths were shut firm. How awesome would it be to be Israel? That's when we get to Galatians chapter 3. And that's when we get to Galatians chapter 3. Listen to this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, that's from Matthew 1, right? We see that name carrying forward. That's a title. Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
In other words, you're not born into the family because you got the right last name. You're not born into the family because you got the right DNA or the right genetic code. You can be a Jew. You can be a Gentile. It does not matter. Neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter the privilege of your position in this earth. It doesn't matter whether or not you would win a popular election. It does not matter whether or not you are rich or you are poor. It does not matter whether you are known or unknown, whether you are a slave or you're free. There is no male or female. It does not matter whether you can be circumcised or not. It does not matter whether you are marked physically or not. It does not matter. The promise is no longer built on physical descendants. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You were born in Christ. You live in Christ. You are born again in Christ. What matters is not where you were born physically. What matters is in whom have you been born spiritually. Because if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In other words, as Romans chapter 9 teaches, Israel is not by physical birth. Israel is by spiritual birth. And if you have been born into the lineage of Christ, you are now being blessed. You are the very families that God was promising to Abraham in covenant to be blessed for all generations to come. And you are being blessed through whom? Through the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, the boy, the baby boy that was born to the virgin in Bethlehem. Jesus, who is called the Christ. So you know what you can do? You can play in the leaves, man. You can play in the leaves. Feels like your life's coming apart. Feels like you have nowhere to turn. Feels like that inside of your guts are about to spill out of your, out of your body and nerves and fear and worry. No, no. God has promised to you his provision. God has promised to you his protection. He has sent to you his presence. He has verified you in the resurrection of the Christ. He has sent the son of Abraham to bring you into the promise and bringing you into the promise. He has wiped out all reason for fear in our lives. Nothing, nothing can triumph over you. You know, my family... We have a little plot of land not far from here off of, uh, off of Highway 9. I, I did nothing, nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. I just was born, and there it is, right? And sometimes on a, on a you know, I get a random day, and I just want to just drive out there, and you've got to go. You go across the creek, and you get out in the middle. It's, it's, it's bottom land. Nobody's really all that impressed by it. But it's a peaceful place, you know, except I have relatives. Amen. And they see their job as being guardians of the land. And so I can go out there, and, and maybe they don't recognize my trucks, because I've changed into a lot of different trucks, as many of you know. And, and you go out, and I'm in the middle out there, and I'm out there with my dog and my kids, and I'm out there having fun. And here come the relatives, and they're coming out, and they got their guns. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not really guns, but they have that look on their face, like, I'm fixing to kill somebody. Like, who's on the land? I'm going to take them out. I'm the guardian of the land, and there's people on the land. And they come out, and man, they look like they're bad to the bone, like they mean business. And I can tell that they, they're coming to, to just give me the what's up, you know. And they get out there, and you know what happens? They see me, and their countenance changes. They get there, and they come, and they throw their arms. Man, I haven't seen you in forever, dude. How are you doing? How's the family? How's Megan? How's the kids? Is it, man, they're getting so big. Their countenance changes. 
Why? Because I belong there. That's family land. That's family land. It's mine and theirs. We have it together. We're co-heirs of that little plot of land. And so that which was guarded, which I could not enter, is now I am welcomed with a hug and an embrace. For all who come to me as a little child belong the kingdom of heaven. You see, for all of us who understand our place in Christ, for all of us who understand the promises that have been secured for us by Christ, heaven is family land. Heaven is family land. And so when we go and we come through the judgment, we ought to receive the judgment and the wrath of God. But when he sees Christ crediting his righteousness to us by our faith, he is going to embrace us with a countenance that says, this is my child. This is my son. That's already secured for you. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just who God has made you to be. And it can't be taken away. So brothers and sisters, the question, it's not just you can go play in the leaves. The question is, will you? Will you walk by faith? Will you live with the faith of a child? Will you understand your place and his place and how all this fits together? Will you embrace the peace that has been secured for you by Christ? Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.